This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Friday, everyone. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. And it's four days until the election. Like what in the actual? And more important spooky news, it's obviously Halloween tomorrow. Happy Halloween, everybody. It is. What a crazy time to be alive. It's like we got Hallow's Eve, evil spirits, and the election where we're fighting evil. What was that? Did you just cast a spell? I have no clue. And love. I have no clue what just happened here, but Shira just literally <laughs> cursed us all. But yes, Halloween's tomorrow. We can worry about the election in four days, but right now, don't you love Halloween? Have you have you carved any pumpkins? Have you gotten your I candy did. ready? Well, have- I mean, you have seen my Instagram at Shira Lazar, where I posed with two little carved pumpkins as um, boobs, basically. Yeah, she and was, was shirtless, I- and she had these <laughs> pumpkins covering herself like she was on a Sports Illustrated ad. That's what I'm talking um, about. It was um, sexy. Da- it was Thank really I taking that. Halloween to the next triple X level. I thought I was more <laughs> just making a statement about voting and catching people's attention. I was like, why not? You know, I always say... I will never look back and regret showing off myself when I'm 80. Well, here's the thing. I have no problem with thirst traps. You know, I think they're very efficient. But did you give any links? Did you tell people link in the bio to go register? Oh, what what did I you actually, do? Thank you. I was I was wanting to. I just said vote. And actually, <laughs> I was wondering how people do that on their Instagram to make it click under it. Because it wasn't well, showing it, up. It automa- it should, Instagram normally automatically pops up. But it didn't do it for me. Well, see, now look. You just did a thirst trap that didn't even count. You were oh, just showing off. <laughs> now let's get started with the show. I will add that now. I was hoping Instagram <laughs> would help me, but there you go. Instagram not helping again. Thanks a lot. Don't that blame Instagram. Fault. It is your fault. Now let's move on. <laughs> okay, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Uh, Trump spoke in Wisconsin today where he called out the state for continuing restrictions while their cases are rising. And he also blamed doctors for get uh, trying to get more money by saying a patient died from COVID-19. This is pretty gross. They kept yeah. saying, Germany, Germany, Germany. Yeah. First of all, they have different ways of counting. You know, in Germany, if you have a bad heart and you're ready to die, or if you have cancer and you're going to be dying soon and you catch COVID, that happens. We mark it down to COVID. You know, our doctors get more money if somebody dies from COVID. You know that, right? I mean, our doctors are very smart people. So what they do is they say, I'm sorry, but, you know, everybody dies of COVID. Yeah, I mean, we've spoken to a ton of doctors and specialists, and it's insulting for the work they're doing, and they're putting their lives on the line. And for him to say this, what about the doctors who worked with him to try to save him and get him better? It's an insult. Sure, I'm telling you, I am convinced. 
I know it feels like a conspiracy theory, but I am one of many who are questioning if that man even had it. Because like I, I, I feel just so passionate about once you know someone that has either had it or people that I know who have had it or people who have had family members die. It's just like your whole personality, your whole thing changes and outlook changes when it comes to this virus. And he just does not care. Yeah, he also basically said the world is going to be over if Biden wins, although I already thought the world is kind of yep. going into the apocalypse mm-hmm. right now. Where's that asteroid? It's coming down to get us all. And you'll have no school, no graduations, no weddings, no Thanksgiving, no Christmas, no Fourth of July, no future. Other than that, he's doing a fantastic job. And then it got really extreme. Like, this is just really out there. There'll be no heating in the winter, no air conditioning in the summer, and no electricity, whatever the hell you want it. Right now, you have it made. You're so lucky. You are so lucky I'm your president. And that doesn't even make sense, but moving on. President Trump also announced this today. He cited city restrictions due to COVID-19 when suggesting that he might move his election night party from Trump International Hotel to the White House. The president's son, Eric Trump, confirmed the potential move on Fox News. Now, Washington, D.C. is in phase two of reopening, which allows public gatherings of up to 50 people. And that does it for what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. So let's dive right into the tea report. Honey, uh, Kim Kardashian, she revealed that her husband, Kanye West, surprised her with a very unusual present for her 40th birthday this week. It was a hologram message from her deceased father, Robert Kardashian. Now, she called it the most thoughtful gift of a lifetime and a special surprise from heaven. Here is a clip of the moment. Happy birthday, everybody. Look at you. You're 40 and all grown up. You look beautiful, just like when you were a little girl. I watch over you and your sisters and brother and the kids every day. Okay. Here's the thing, Shira. What? Was it sweet or was it weird? It's a mixture. I mean, this is pretty amazing and emotional. Like, imagine you've lost your father and you see this. I can't imagine what that was like. Uh, But it's a special thing. Yeah, so uh, it is it is I find the whole hologram thing a bit much. It can be creepy, but it was a a to do. It was a nice gesture. No, it was most definitely a creepy thing. And for me, I did not like this. The hologram was like 60 foot, like feet tall. It looked so huge. It looked like it was about to eat everyone. And then this idea of like, even towards the end of the message, which I'm not sure if we played, um, he, the, he, the Robert Kardashian starts saying that, oh, your Kanye West is a genius of well, a husband. that was a funny moment. Just, that, that was trying to, like, no, it's to weird. It, it feels like, who was that gift for? Was it for Kanye? or was it for Kim? I just don't like this. I feel like if maybe it should have been a more private situation, like maybe her him ask answering questions. Like, I don't know. Holograms are just what, a Q and A. Yes, yes. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know. I just did not like it. It was just a little too much. But I do think it was sweet. Um, but it was just a weird, sweet gift. Well, you know, Kanye owes her a lot after what he puts her through. Very, very true. And honey, that is your tea report of all of those pop culture moments that are trending today. Well, now coming up, what other countries have to gain or lose from the U.S. presidential race? We get into that next in two minutes. In this opinion piece in the Washington Post, 
titled The World is Watching This Election. Here's what other countries have to gain and lose by David Ignatius. It really brought uh, something interesting up. And I think about this because I am Canadian. I think about how does the rest of the world look at what's happening right now? Not just citizens, but world leaders, because they have uh, some incentive in this as well. They want something from the president, too, whenever someone is voted in. So who's for Trump? Who's for Biden? What would be the reason for leaders to be pushing for one or the other? Back with us is executive director at the Los Angeles County Democratic Party, Drexel Hurd. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I am sitting here at LA Dim HQ right now. Yeah, in full uh, campaign wear, by the way. In full campaign wear, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, so this is really interesting because we've seen, you know, allies, enemies come out over the past four years for against Trump. I guess, how have we seen uh, that change over the past few years? Because we all know where China started and where they are right now. Sure. I think that as every president um, changes or every secretary of state or every national security advisor, so does obviously the policy of the United States. Um, typically, it has been um, that the United States has led on a whole host of issues around the world. In this case, the Trump administration has taken it upon themselves to let other people lead um, and to get us out of things that they believe we shouldn't be in. That's never been the stance of the United States. We've always been the people that people have looked, the, the country that, that other nations have looked to uh, to provide guidance and certainly to buy, provide as much security as possible. Right. Uh, so I think when it comes down to where other world leaders stand, you know, you just look at Angela Merkel of, of Germany and Justin Trudeau of, of Canada uh, to where probably other leaders are looking to for a little bit more security. And that's unfortunate. I think one interesting thing that I think about in a conversation like this is Putin and Kim Jong-un, right? Because they need someone in office like Trump. And if Joe Biden Mm. wins, how do we see our relationship with these foreign countries change? Well, I think it's just going to go back to where, at least for our allies and and our NATO allies, it's going to go back to where we were before. There's going to be a little bit more rebuilding. Uh, We certainly have to rebuild our State Department because so many of our career diplomats have left. Uh, we're going to have to rebuild our ambassadors uh, where those folks go around the world and, and our standing with those nations as well. So uh, I think with Russia and with China, uh, Donald Trump can't decide who Russia and China want to win more. Some days is they want to win Joe, they want Joe Biden to win uh, in one rally. And then the next rally, he says, well, Russia and China really want me to win, you know, and because I'm the bad guy. So he can't really make up his mind on who he believes our adversaries want to win. But they are exactly that. They're adversaries. Uh, China is an economic adversary and Russia is certainly a national security adversary uh, to us. And so uh, Donald Trump has uh, been unable to protect us from both of them uh, in both of those stances. And uh, and I think that Joe Biden and certainly with Kamala Harris, uh, they're going to they're they're bring in uh, teams of people that Russia and China uh, are certainly not going to be able to, uh, we'll be able to stand up to them a little bit more. But equally as uh, as concerning is our relationship with North Korea, because uh, North Korea has increased their stockpiles uh, of uh, nuclear weapons. They don't they don't care. And, and that's where Iran is uh, right now as well. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. And again, you're hearing from Drexel Hurd, executive director of the L.A. County Democratic Party. Let's talk about these peace treaty treaties, uh, Israel, Iran, the Middle East. How has that impacted things? And is that a a long term solution or was that just a political move for this election? So I think peace in the Middle East has certainly been something that every president has been attempting to achieve. Look, you can sign all the documents you want, but if it does not stick, in this case, we signed the Iran 
uh, nuclear agreement that Donald Trump pulled us out of. And we see what happens uh, when you don't adhere to those things. When Iran was adhering to those guidelines, we were making progress with them, lifting sanctions uh, that had been agreed upon. Uh, now, um, you're, we're signing peace treaties that may or may not, uh, I'm not saying that it is, but it may or may not have had some Trump deals laced uh, throughout them. Uh, so, um, you know, so I, I think that, that we have to really look at what those details are um, to really fully understand uh, yeah. how that's going to impact uh, U.S. relations with everybody. This sounds like it's going to be a huge, like, cleanup moment, right? And I wonder, does the Biden-Harris, you know, campaign kind of feel the pressure of that? Is this new administration going to feel the pressure of having to clean up everything Donald Trump has unfortunately done? Yeah, we're going to have to clean up not only um, our economic uh, issues that we're having inside, our domestic economic issues, but we're going to have to clean up our foreign policy as well. Like I said, you've got career diplomats who may come back into service because they know that they're going to have a secretary of state that actually cares about our standing around the world. Uh, you're going to see our allies come back to the table. You're going to see the fact uh, that those who wanted to be a part of our, our, our G8, um, you know, probably slink back uh, uh, into where they came from. Uh, there's no reason why some of our biggest adversaries like Russia should be a part uh, of those conversations if they can't uh, adhere to, um, to uh, human relations uh, standards as well. So, I think that those are the things that you're going to see the Biden administration uh, take into account uh, as they rebuild our state. All right. Well, Drexel Heard, you're sticking around with us because after this, we're going to be getting into how the Supreme Court could flip the election and all the lawsuits coming up leading up to the election next in two minutes. There's been a bunch of last minute election lawsuits and it's brought up concerns that the court will intervene after the vote in a way that could determine the winner. And back with us is executive director at the LA County Democratic Party, Drexel Hurd, hanging out with us this Friday. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're four days out from election day and uh, uh-huh. you know, I hope you guys vote. I hope you guys voted. Don't remind me the stress, the anxiety. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. For real. And and this makes it even more nerve wracking. The fact that the Supreme Court could come in last minute and do something about this. What recent lawsuits have there been that could impact the vote? So you've seen the Republican Party um, over the past few months, uh, certainly as as of just a couple of days, just of yesterday, have lawsuits that are aimed at, you know, suppressing the vote in terms of not counting ballots where they are. And so in certain states, in certain key states, because they're not doing it in all states, they're doing it in certain key states, uh, like Pennsylvania, where we saw yesterday, Mm -hmm. um, where the Supreme Court came in and said, nah, that's not going to be a thing. Uh, We've seen that same thing happen in in Texas in the court systems and in North Carolina. Uh, So the Republicans are trying to play a game uh, of if they can't win at the ballot box, uh, they can possibly win in the courts. Because at yeah. the end of the day, they don't have much left. You know, w- this won't be a, a Bush v. Gore situation where we're looking at chips. This will actually be about uh, whether or not the, an American citizen can vote in an election and whether or not that vote is going to count. That should be more concerning uh, to any American than whether, what the Supreme Court is going to do. Right. That means the Republicans are systematically out there trying to deny the American people the right to vote. Well, what's happening with Wisconsin just seems 
incredibly unconstitutional. Are Democrats worried about that kind of that the court is sided with Republicans on that? Like what what are y'all what's your take? Because obviously that's something to worry about now. I think I think, you know, we won't know. I mean, there was a five three decision yesterday on on how ballots are going to be counted. Who knows what's going to happen? It's not like the Supreme Court can't take up the Pennsylvania case after election day. Um, but the likelihood of that happening, if voters get out and, and are voting overwhelmingly, they won't really intervene too much in, in cases like that. Unfortunately, we have about three Supreme Court justices that had a hand in Bush v. Gore. Uh, so they may or may not have a hand in, in what's going on today. But I think Chief Justice, if, if, if the opinions from the Chief Justice have been any indication, uh, he may not want a bunch of shenanigans that a, a Samuel Alito or Brett Kavanaugh or Clarence Thomas even have had uh, in their opinions over the past few weeks. So I think that, you know, the one thing that we just tell everybody is make sure that you're voting right now. 80 million people have already voted Uh, here in LA County. uh, 2 million people have voted out of 5 million people. And of that, it's 1.6 million Democrats. So I think that that is where voters are going to be not only in California, but hopefully we're seeing large turnouts across the country where the Supreme Court won't be able to come in uh, and make any decision for the American. Yeah, I I love that what you're saying is like focus on what you can control versus on what you can't control. Again, we're talking to executive director at the L.A. County Democratic Party, Drexel Hurd. As you are in the trenches right now, you know, I'm doing the work that needs to be done for the Democratic Party right now. What should people be focusing on that could slip through the cracks? Um, I think you've got a handful of demographics that really need that really need focused on. I know that Senator Harris is uh, uh, in key states today, uh, making sure that uh, black males are getting out to vote. I think we're seeing some low numbers in Miami-Dade right now, where uh, there was a record, there was a high turnout of Latino voters uh, in Miami-Dade, and we got to get those that demographic out to vote better more as well. Yeah, uh, I think young voters are turning out in record numbers that we haven't seen. Uh, since probably Barack Obama and in 2008. Ten times more young voters have early voted uh, than in the last election. So I think that our blind spots are more rooted in the fact that we haven't been able to canvas. Uh, we haven't been able to knock on doors because of the pandemic. Uh, this pandemic has changed the way that folks have campaigned. And you know, social media can only take us so far. And some people do need that one-on-one conversation. And uh, so hopefully over the next few days, you know, I think uh, you know, uh, well over 10 million phone calls, I think, have been made from the Democratic Party to voters across the country. A lot of those are being made from here in California uh, to our battleground states. Uh, just last weekend, I know there was at least 200,000 calls made from just from Los Angeles alone. So yeah. I think that that's what we're seeing. And, and, and so I know that folks are working really hard to really target voters uh, to make sure they get up. So Amy Coney Barrett, she didn't participate in the most recent uh, Pennsylvania and North Carolina rulings. Do you think she is going to recuse herself from all of the 2020 election cases? Do you do you think that's necessary? Well, I mean, look, I, I think that she came in probably on the tail end of that. I don't think that they really heard. Or I think she just got sworn in. Well, yeah, she said that she that. she basically said that she didn't have enough time to review, yeah. which is a smart decision. Right. But when it comes to these 2020 election cases, should she be participating in that? Um, look, I think that uh, that Justice Barrett is going to do what uh, she's going to do. Um, I think that it's been very clear why she was put on the court. Uh, and that is not only to go after the Affordable Care Act, 
uh, but to maybe be a shield for the Trump administration when uh, election-related uh, cases come before the court. I think for Justice Barrett, she's going to have to decide uh, whether or not she's going to live up to her reputation as a decent jurist, um, despite her ideology. And, uh, and I think that uh, you know, t- only time will tell what kind of j- jurist she's going to be. Yeah, and what, what does she want her legacy to be for all Americans? Right. That's something to think about. Well, thank you so much for all your hard work right now and for being here today. Thank you for having me. Make sure y'all go vote. Exactly. That was Executive Director at Los Angeles County Democratic Party, Drexel Hurd. Now coming up, Donald Trump Jr.'s casual discussion about COVID-19 deaths. The clip next in two minutes. Don Trump Jr. is speaking out as he always does. He spoke to Laura Ingram last night and he said that coronavirus deaths have dropped to almost nothing and questioned the seriousness of the pandemic. By the way, on a record-breaking day for new cases where more than 1,000 Americans died of the virus. And here is that clip. These people, these people are truly morons. You know what I mean? And I like how they go after Scott Atlas because he's not an epidemiologist, but Sanjay Gupta now magically is. I mean, give me a break, Laura. The reality is this. If you look, I put it up on my Instagram a couple days ago because I went through the CDC data because I kept hearing about new infections. But I was like, well, why aren't they talking about this? Oh, oh, because the number is almost nothing because we've gotten control of this thing. We understand how to, how it works. They have the therapeutics to be able to deal with this. If you look at that, look at my Instagram. So, yeah. This uh, has been shared on social media. By the way, Scott Atlas, who he mentions in this, is on the coronavirus task force, but has been called out for making decisions and not being an expert or an epidemiologist. You know, if I was Donald Trump Jr. or the Trump campaign in general, especially because Donald Trump Jr. is like a surrogate for his father, um, I would really be worried about this idea of him just saying it's almost nothing because the coronavirus is actually ripping through states that are red states um, that are needed for his dad to win. I mean, states like North and South Dakota, Wisconsin, Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, um, those six states that are reported reporting at least 50 coronavirus cases per 100,000 people over just the past seven days. So when you're talking and you're describing these deaths as just nothing, when we're Mm -hmm. at the peak right now, is quite irresponsible. And I really be feeling like this campaign just wants to lose because they don't even care about their own supporters. Yeah. And people called out his casualness, like how casually he just mentioned, like, yeah, we're getting it, but like no one's dying. And it's like, stop making it such a big deal. Like, stop bothering us about this. We just want like you're not a teenager, right? You're not like just being called out for coming home late, you know, after your curfew. This is a big deal. People's lives are at risk. People are losing their loved ones. And it's like it's unfortunate that now because Trump overcame his own experience with it. Now they think it's just like, oh, it's nothing. Like you can get it. It's all good. We figured it out. There are preventatives. It's all good. Yeah, when you're not thinking or if it's not affecting you closely, because I'm really at the point where I'm not even thinking that Donald Trump, the president, had coronavirus. Because when you have someone close to you, as I did, as many people in America have who have either died and have been affected by this, you start to change how you think about this virus. You start to get nervous 
service. You start to feel empathy for others. But the fact that that has not hit for, you know, his son, you know, Donald Trump Jr., whose father had the actual coronavirus, whose stepmom, Melania, whose nephew also had it. It seems like just completely tone deaf, like this family and the right side is not going to understand um, the severity of this. They don't care that so many Americans are dying. Yeah, and and laughing about it, which is really inappropriate. Uh, Yeah, so of course, they were also referencing an interview or a segment that Sanjay Gupta did on CNN, where he said that new coronavirus cases had increased 82% of the time in counties that hosted a total of 17 rallies for the president between August and September. And the infection rate in those counties had also climbed at a faster uh, clip than the overall rate for their state. So... That was something that he was reacting to. And according to the Washington Post, uh, Trump Jr., and just like to put this out there, he combined two figures, it seems, the number of new deaths and the death rate as a percentage of COVID-19 cases. The raw number of new deaths has held, by the way, has been fairly steady in recent months with the seven-day average having around 800 in the past week, according to data. And the CDC, and even we've had- yeah, infectious diseases experts on this show, they've said there's a lag, okay? When the, there's a, a spike in cases, you're not going to see the deaths, obviously, right away. But Shira, the idea that we're uh, creeping up close to 250,000 lives that have been lost, that is just enough to not say that this is almost nothing. That's it. Okay, well, coming up, Florida parents are pursuing schools for a mask mandate. More details next on that in What's Trending This Hour. You know, typically for Halloween, companies will have like a costume party or like just an event we did that last year it was actually a lot of fun this year of course we can't be together so our company did it on zoom yeah and let me tell you it doesn't have the same ring to it as coming in with everyone um but they tried their hardest in all like all company meetings they can be very um awkward and slightly uncomfortable I actually love it because, you know, I, I love awkwardness. Yeah, I you thrive it. in I think, it. I think awkwardness is so funny. It's just, I don't know what it is. But meanwhile, I, both of us actually don't have any Halloween outfits right now on. And we were recording and doing everything for our show. So I went into my drawer and I threw on a mask I had that was like a Batman mask. And then I came back to our Zoom just with me and Ryan. And Ryan was scared. He's like, who in the, what are you doing, Shira? I mean, I wasn't, I was, it wasn't scared because this mask was scary. I was scared because Shira really wanted to be involved that bad that she probably destroyed her room to find this mask. So yeah, that's what I was scared about because it's real manic behavior. (laughs) I'm just trying to get into the Halloween spirit. You know, it's my favorite holiday. (laughs) Mask is off. We're getting back into our show. And now coming up on the show though, let's get into this, how next door became so popular and also messy during the election season. Plus with social media, being regulated, how campaigns have figured out their way into our texts, because that's happening right now. You might have noticed a bunch of texts that, you know, came from random people. Exhausting, to be quite honest, and I'm over it. I have been blocking folks left and right. Uh, But let's get into some what's trending this hour. You know, Texas, a traditional Republican state, has smashed turnout records as of this morning. The number of early in-person and mail-in ballots surpassed the total number of votes cast in the 2016 presidential election. The Texas Secretary of State's office reported that over 9 million people cast their ballots in person by mail or via drop boxes during the state's early voting period, which began October 13th and ends today. That amounts to 53.14% turnout among 
among registered voters in just early voting. That is Ooh, huge. That is crazy. Yeah. Historic numbers. Mm-hmm. And here's VP Kamala Harris on the ground there today. Today is the last day of early voting in Texas, and you all have been doing your thing. What did I hear? Was it nine million people have voted so far? Early voting in Texas, nine million? Now, we know this is no time to let up on the pedal, though, right? You know, we had that extra on, and they said that perhaps Democrats can turn the state purple right now, but perhaps blue in the future. We'll see what happens. You know, her new acronym, once she wins, because I'm manifesting it, once she wins, it'll be MVP, Madame Vice President. Oh, hello. Love that. Love Exciting. That. Yeah. Now, an officer involved in the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor has filed a civil suit against the 26-year-old's boyfriend Disgusting. for emotional distress. This I is hate crazy. this guy. Are you kidding me? You're literally suing someone that you, you rushed in. You rushed in and did all of that, and now you're suing him? Wow. These people are gross. The lawsuit claims Louisville Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly experienced, quote, severe trauma, mental anguish, and emotional distress because of Kenneth Walker's actions on March 13th. Yeah. I don't even know what to say to that. Uh, Mattingly and two other officers, remember, entered Taylor's apartment early in the morning that day with a warrant in an attempt to carry out a drug investigation. Walker, a licensed gun owner who said he thought the officers were intruders, allegedly fired a shot that hit Mattingly in the leg. Police then opened fire, killing Taylor. Taylor had no criminal record and no drugs were found. And yet he's the guy suing, suing, saying Walker's conduct in shooting, shooting Mattingly is outrageous intolerable and offends all accepted standards of decency and morality the lawsuit says i yeah I, let's move on yeah, i'm not shocked at this point i literally have nothing else to say it's just 2020 keeps getting worse and this guy is the worst i can't believe it now a group of parents in florida are suing the sarasota county school board for requiring students to wear face masks which are recommended by the way by federal health officials to prevent the spread of COVID-19. The parents argue in the suit that forcing children to wear masks at school denies them their right to an equal education. How about access to education? I think uh, we should focus on that in terms of denying uh, people a right to an equal education and kids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they, the lawsuit says, quote, the policy of mandatory face masks where, where for students of tender years leaves parents with little choice subject their children to a policy that is not in the best interest of the child or to be compelled to homeschool their children in a manner that is both separate and unequal and also results in additional harms unrelated to COVID-19. And it's a 59-page complaint. It cites the Florida Constitution as its reasoning as to why students shouldn't be forced to wear masks. It also goes on to say that parents should be the ones making decisions for their children, not the school board. That's happening in Florida. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, we got your T-Report, those pop culture moments that are trending right now. And, of course, you probably saw Lil Wayne said he had a great meeting with President Trump on Thursday as he endorsed the administration's plan to invest in black communities. Now, he posted a photo of himself and Trump smiling and giving the thumbs up in front of three American flags during their meeting in Miami. Now, the hip-hop heavy 
heavyweight praised Trump for his work on uh, criminal justice reform and said the administration's platinum plan, which is a policy aimed at winning over black Americans, would give the community real ownership. Now, people were obviously upset by this decision of this, but for me, it did not really shock me because in a new uh, resurfaced interview, um, here's what Lil Wayne thinks of the Black Lives Matter movement in general. I don't know what you mean, man. Don't come at me with that dumb man. My life matter, especially to my So yeah, um, it's oh. crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it's interesting because it seems like Trump thinks that these prominent black men who happen to be in the music world are going to like move the needle. And I think it's interesting that it happens to be all very kind of s- in similar veins, like genres of um, individuals. Like, what have you said in response to all these guys showing up to do this? Um, I think Little Wayne has based his politics on a white officer that saved his life. And just to clue you in, back in 2012, that white officer, if you know Lil Wayne's story that saved Lil Wayne's life, actually ended up getting fired for tasing and and saying racial slurs um, to a black person on the street. And so, you know, these prominent black men, as you you deem them, even though they're he's most definitely not prominent. And um, well, they're all he, rappers. They're all he, black rappers and musicians. That doesn't mean he's prominent. Uh, Lil Wayne doesn't even care about himself. So I wouldn't expect him to care about the black community. Community and classism is a real thing. These black men who are coming out are only caring about their bank accounts. And so that's all I have to say. And that is your tea report, honey. And that's a wrap. Thank you for spilling the tea. Well, coming up, why next door is the latest social media platform being called out for dividing its users over politics. That's coming up in two minutes with CNET editorial director Jason Heiner. Next door, it's a very popular platform. Actually, Ryan, Never heard you didn't it. even know what it was before we were covering this story. And to be honest, it doesn't really seem that friendly to black folks or people of color anyway. So happy that I don't have that stress in my life. Well, I mean, that is definitely fair uh, to say. And it's reportedly signed up more than 10 million users, though, in nearly 220,000 neighborhoods in the U.S. And it's typically a place, if you don't know, used to help neighbors, uh, you know, get things. If you're, you know, you need your milk, maybe. Maybe you need to get uh, some salts that you're missing from your neighbor. I don't know. Or find babysitters and more. Or, you know, say you have the neighbor that has their dog pooing on your lawn. You know, you call them out on next door. But... It's been used for other things leading up to the 2020 election. According to this Vox.com article by Rebecca Heilwell, uh, it says, despite the company's efforts to restrict discussions about national politics and keeping things civil, some conversations on Nextdoor are becoming riddled with conspiracy theories, intense fights over local politics, as well as the presidential race. Uh, so joining us right now to dive into this is editorial director at CNET, Jason Heiner. Thanks again for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So like us blaming Facebook and Twitter and all these social networks for a lot of the crap that we're all living through, a lot of people are blaming next door. But again, are these platforms to blame for behaviors by humans? Obviously, humans are, are, the, are the common element of all these platforms. So I, I think as a platform, what you have to do is try to make it the, the obviously friendliest you can, the easiest to use, but also you have to have some standards to not allow certain behaviors to perpetuate themselves um, because all of these platforms, we've seen this from the beginning of online platforms, they all tend to, once they start going downhill and it becomes uh, really nasty, it's really hard to clean it up and make it better. But if you have strong policies, 
then you can keep it from getting nasty and make it a, a good place that people are comfortable to, to hang out. Yeah, that was my big question, because how do you think political polarization impacts apps like these? The apps are going to reflect the, the human systems and the human ways of organizing ourselves naturally. Nextdoor is a place that is trying to go for more, a more civil discourse. Uh, that's their, their goal. That doesn't mean that it's not difficult to keep political speech off of there. They try to keep national politics and their moderators apparently are trying to keep national politics out of the conversation whenever possible. They're flagging those things. But Nextdoor is also very narrowly uh, targeted too. So you can't just jump around and be part of a neighborhood that um, you know, you're not part of, or even like an old neighborhood you used to belong to. Like you have to be invited by one of your neighbors um, so it's an it's a really interesting one. So that means somebody locally to that has to be the moderator, and of course that then is rife with up you know opportunities for potential bias and abuse. Mm-hmm. So Jason, uh, who's again from Cena editorial director. I guess, how did politics move into this platform? If people were just using it for the things I mentioned, yeah. how did they start talking about politics? Well, when people start doing like, if in your neighborhood, it's like you can only put two yard signs up, right? And then somebody calls you out and says, or, or even just does it in general, say, hey, I noticed on our street, there's like several places now, people have got four, five, six yard signs for their politicians and the thing is only two, or you're only allowed to have one that's this big and not this big. You can see where all of a sudden that can quickly turn into, you know, some pretty petty, backbiting, fighting, and nastiness. Well, and the thing is, there was a moment in this article where it talked about someone was actually going back and forth with someone. It was actually a person of color. And they were basically talking about their signs being ripped off of. And one of the people called them a communist. And it was this back and forth. But then at the end of the day, next door ended up banning the person of color who was actually receiving a lot of the attacks. So it just feels like kind of like Twitter, there's still no handle of no who is kind of the perpetrator in these situations. What do you think about that? Yeah. And the standards, right. Of like, you know, how do you say like the person who started it? Okay. They're responsible for how that thread goes down or is it, you know, the language that that's used, it, it becomes challenging. And I, I think one of the other issues that I've seen, cause I do have next door in my neighborhood and one of the things that I think is more subtle, but but also has to be dealt with is things like the, a lot of the things that get posted on there are things about crime. Like, mm. and sometimes you're, you, they're dubious. Like one, I remember one was like, three doors got broken into, got knocked down in our apartment building last week. And, you know, so keep an eye out. And you're kind of like, mm, <laughs> does that really, you know, and then, but the other ones that are more subtle and challenging is like, you know, my, my ring camera caught this suspicious person, yeah. you know, walking mm. in front and like they're like 50% or more are almost always people of color. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and so very subtle. So how do you enforce that? How do you, you know, somehow educate people that like you're making assumptions just because of the way someone looks that they're suspicious. Right. And, and there that's, I don't envy next door that, but, but in the same sense, they, they have a responsibility to um, if they're going to have a platform like this to make sure that that kind of speech doesn't become, you know, really negative toward, um, toward the people of color in that community. 
Yeah, well, they do have a kindness reminder that encourages people to be nice in their comments on platforms. So maybe that will work. So Jason and Heiner, you're sticking around with us because after this, we're getting into text messaging. You might be noticing election propaganda texts popping up on your phone. And after this, we're going to talk about how they became so popular this election and what to do about ending them. You want to just cut those folks off. That's in two minutes. Social media platforms are trying to crack down on disinformation. So political groups are turning to text messaging where regulations and oversight are based basically non-existent. And you can imagine where that lands all of us. Well, back with us is editorial director of CNET, Jason Heiner. Uh, Jason, thanks again for hanging out with us this Friday. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Yes. So was texting as popular in 2016 as a tool as it is for this election? Wow. Yeah, not even close. Uh, You know, with everything, and we've seen it, you know, in in 2016, a lot of these stories, misinformation, exaggeration, conspiracy theory, a lot of, you know, nasty crap, as we know, sort of got, got, it it got um, amplified on social media. And, And a lot of people were really frustrated about that and felt like it had a pretty big impact on people voting, but also people not voting. Um, In many cases, there was um, Russian uh, hackers and other hackers who um, typically tried to go to certain populations and really feed into their fears about being disempowered politically to get them to not vote, to suppress them from voting. Mm. So all of those kinds of things are now in the crosshairs of Facebook and Twitter and their and other platforms. And they're trying to do a better job of keeping that stuff off of their platform. And they're cracking down when they see hate speech, when they see questionable things, they're flagging things, they're deleting things, they're um, trying to get rid of them. So of course, all of these people being run by smart people, all of these campaigns being run by smart people are like, where can we go to get some of these messages out? And they're like, you know what? There are no moderators on text messages. We can send stuff to those, to directly to consumers to their phones mm-hmm. and text messages get read far more than Facebook, um, than phone calls, obviously, voicemails, all of those things. People read their text messages. Uh, and so that is has made it a platform that has really become flooded with yeah. all of this political messaging. Well, you know, political texts get opened up like to 98% of the time. And so that is, I mean, significantly higher than email open rates and answers yeah. to the phone, like you mentioned. But what I tell you it is annoying me out of like, it's, it feels mm-hmm. like the increase of it is becoming overwhelming. Um, is there a possibility like, is that going to be kind of regulated? Like this kind of idea of just pushing kind of your candidate of choice or whatever party messaging, how are they going to control that? It's a great question. And I don't, obviously we haven't seen anything that I'm aware of very little, uh, you know, the, in that's been pushed in terms of legislation or regulation around this. And so all of those systems, as you know, um, are lagging, right? It, right. It'll have to be after this, they're, they're mm-hmm. probably in the next two years, there'll be new legislation and regulation um, introduced. It is electronic communication, so it is regulatable and um, it, it's likely to get some heat. But for, for this election cycle, it's going to continue. Um, you know, we, said, we saw that between June and the fall, it was like a 400% increase in these robo text messages. Me? Wow. Yeah. In September alone, there were 2.6 billion billion political text messages 
messages sent in the US alone. Wow. You know, and they and they're really clever with it. Like they they make it sound like it's coming from an individual person. Like, uh-huh. hi, I'm John Doe working for this campaign and I noticed that you whatever live in this neighborhood and your voting precinct is this. Have you signed up to to vote and and do you know that you know your precinct's only well, whatever 15 let minutes me, away. Let me tell you this. I'm used to running from a bill collector so I know how to get away from them. All I got to do is block it. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, like, uh, is John Doe, like someone who's lonely will be like, hey, John Doe, can we talk about politics and more? Maybe politics is a turn on for you. Again, editorial director of CNET, Jason Heiner, joins us. And, and yeah, the numbers you mentioned are just crazy. Wow. And even in this article, it said 900 million messages in December were sent by Democrats. Republicans sent 1.8 billion messages. That's like, what, double the amount? Yeah. Like, what yep. is up with that? Why is it such a a difference in Democrats and Republicans in terms of their communication. Yeah, part of it is, you know, the um, Republicans in this cycle have really um, invested in a lot of the sort of grassroots, typical ground game kind of stuff, right? Registering people, reaching out one-on-one in these ways. You know, Democrats are putting more of their money in sort of big advertising campaigns and, and those kinds of things. So really it's just, you know, you zig and I try to zag kind of thing. It does seem like the attention is more so on social media sites. Obviously, we've been seeing a lot with Mark Zuckerberg in these hearings when they're, you know, the future of Section 230 about kind of like the, you know, could you explain kind of what these tech platforms are going through with this Section 230? Yeah, so Section 230 is some protections that uh, allow for the social media um, platforms to be able to operate and um, to, to be protected from uh, certain, you know, uh, legal action. Yeah, 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 yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Because they do see themselves as open platforms for free speech and um, for uh, expression. And so because of two thirty section 230 of the law in America um, protects them from, there are things that are said on those platforms. The platform itself is not responsible for them. Right. Um, But now with the platforms starting to become more cognizant of not amplifying hate speech and not amplifying misinformation and conspiracy theories. Now, what, what, you know, especially conservative lawmakers are concerned with is that their what they think of as their kind of legitimate messages are getting caught up in those filters and they're not comfortable with. It's a mess. That's a lot going on. Well, Jason, thanks again for joining us for this very enlightening conversation. Jason Heiner, again, is the editorial director at CNET. Now coming up, CNN's Don Lemon explains how he's dealing with friends who support Trump. We're playing that clip next in two minutes. CNN anchor Don Lemon is expressing what's on a lot of our minds um, about how politics have impacted our relationships right now. And I just I had to get rid of a lot of people in my life because sometimes you just have to let them go. I think that they have to hit rock bottom like an addict. Right. And they have to want to get help. They have to want to know the truth. They have to want to live in reality. They have to want to be responsible not only for other people's lives, but for their lives. So, you know what I have had? It's so sad. And I don't know if after this I will ever be able to go back and be friends with those people because at a certain point you just say they're too far gone and I got to let them go. And if they're willing to come back and if they're re- willing to um, live in, in reality, 
then I will welcome them with open arms. But I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. So, yeah, that's one way to do it. I mean, I think this is something that a lot of us are going through because this election is more divisive than it seems like a lot of ones have been in the past. Um, to be honest, all elections are super divisive. All elections are important, especially when it comes to like a person of color or a black person specifically, in my opinion. Um, but I, I, we've talked about this on the show. We've had the experts on, but I have to say I'm at a point where I completely agree with Don Lemon. There is just no more room for me to be surrounding myself with people who rather feel comfortable in the middle and in, in a gray area or just pr- completely pretend like nothing is happening in this world. You know, lives are depending on it. Rights are depending on it. And if you don't see that, it's kind of like, where are you living? You know, not everything can be um, positive. And honestly, it sounds like that toxic positivity thing we've talked about before. Yeah, I, I think it's real. This uh, this is a very moral uh, situation, right? If you're, you morally think it's okay to vote for Trump, it's like you are putting yourself in a position where you are not supporting many groups of people. So mm-hmm. yeah, how how can you be friends with someone whose value system identifies with that? But I guess my question for you is, how, how have you been able to handle, especially with everything that you've learned and then maybe possibly being around mm. some of your friends who aren't having the same daily conversations that we are, do you feel like you have to separate yourself or what do you like to have the conversation? I thank you for asking that. That's something that, you know, I I think about a lot. I'm fortunate that I feel like most of my friends are pretty progressive. I mean, that said, though, doesn't mean they don't do things that are possibly microaggressions or things that they might not know about that I need to call them out on. Right. And even my family. Right. Um, And they're open to learning. So, like, I recognize that and acknowledge that. But they're not necessarily Trump voters and supporters. So if they were yeah. doing that, plus they were Trump voters and supporters, that'd be hard. According to this uh, this actual survey by the Pew Research Center, nearly 80% of Americans now have just a few or no friends at all across the aisle. And I think a lot of people, and I would love to even know the demographic of that when it comes to Black or POC, um, what, where that really falls. Because for me, I, it's, it's becoming quite uncomfortable, to be quite so, honest. Yeah, so yeah, I don't have any friends that I feel that way with, I I found out someone that I know was believed in QAnon and is voting for Trump. Gross. And that was really <laughs> crazy. And we're not in touch. So I was like, OK, well, that's already someone. I actually thought she was really nice. And that was disappointing. Uh, and according to that study that you mentioned, I thought this was interesting. They said Democrats are a little bit more likely to say they'd end a friendship. Republicans may be less likely to say they have friends on the other side. So it may not be all that differential. Uh, but in general, a lot of people are saying that and this is another professor said this, that we're flattening people out in terms of our view of them. We're not really seeing the full complexity of people on the other side. And we need more listening to understand, a little less trying to convince, and a lot more intellectual humility would do everyone a world of good. That's from, uh, by the way, this professor, Ta- uh, Tanya Israel. So something to think about. I don't believe If, that, don't know if that's something you even want to think I about. I don't necessarily think I agree with all of that, but whatever. Well, coming up on the show, Walmart is officially removing guns and ammo from their shelves. What went down to make that decision next and what's trending this hour? Huffington Post had this really fun article where their staff showed 
their clothing choice when they're working before the pandemic, when they were going to the office and after working from home. And so I thought this was really uh, fun. And I wanted to know, Ryan, has your choice of outfits working changed? Yeah, for sure. I have no one to impress. And um, all I'm wearing is hoodies, gym shorts and sneakers. So honestly, I may keep this up. Um, So don't hold me to all those fabulous outfits you all saw before quarantine because I could care less at this point. You have no one to impress. I'm insulted. I'm right here with you every single day. Oh, my God. I mean, you don't try to impress me. (laughs) I am. I did my hair and makeup today. Okay, that's the bar is on the floor. Y'all the bar is on the floor. Yeah, I mean, I am definitely all about the exercise outfits. I mean, Give me a pair of leggings and a tank top and a bra. I promise I wear a bra and I'm good to go. She breaks that promise sometimes. (laughs) Coming up on the show, how K-pop stars are trying to save America and the heartwarming message from actor Jeff Bridges currently going through cancer treatments. Stay tuned for that and more. But let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. There's this video that's being um, shared around social media showing Idaho Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeechan sitting in the driver's seat of a pickup truck with her Bible in her hands as she rails against the coronavirus restrictions carried out in the state she helps lead. We recognize that all of us are by nature free and equal and have certain inalienable rights, among which are enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and pursuing happiness and securing safety. Now, this video is so out there. It was released earlier this week by a libertarian group called the Idaho Freedom Foundation. It claims that Governor Brad Little infringed liberties to battle a pandemic that, quote, may or may not not be occurring. So basically questioning the entire thing. This is a lieutenant governor for that state. And and she's basically part of a video that says (laughs) the pandemic may or may not be occurring. Besides that (laughs) out there statement. It's crazy. This, this video is out The there. fact that a pandemic may or may not be occurring changes nothing about the meaning or intent of the state constitution in the preservation of our inalienable rights. Despite this being in direct contravention of our state's founding principles, state and local officials have for months denied the people of our state basic and fundamental rights by issuing a long procession of emergency orders and edicts that have denied people freedom of movement, assembly, religion, possession and enjoyment of property, and the pursuit of happiness. This has been allowed to go on for too long. By this letter, we demand an end to the emergency orders issued by state and local government officials and the restoration of our constitutionally protected rights. We further resolve that any order issued in the future will be ignored. Unless those orders recognize, honor, and uphold without reservation or equivocation our God-given rights. Ratified by the people of Idaho, October 1st, 2020. You saw it. She was like, literally, it's like they captured her. I don't even know. It was so set up, but... Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, it's wild. I'm not shocked. It's uh, this Trump propaganda. And honestly, she needs to resign as she clearly cannot handle being uh, a person in government or a lieutenant governor because that is just wild. Why do you have guns? What What are you trying to say here? I'm confused. Uh, yeah, and her Bible, always referencing the Bible. Of course. 
Now, Walmart briefly removed all guns and ammunition products from its sales floors in response to concerns about break-ins and civil unrest. Uh, they said this in a statement, we have seen more isolated civil unrest. And as we have done on several occasions over the last few years, we have moved our firearms and ammunition off the sales floor as a precaution for the safety of our associates and customers. Uh, the chain reversed its decision, though, today, stating that because the current incidents have remained geographically isolated, we have made the decision to begin returning these pro uh, products to the sales floor today. Now, Walmart has removed guns and ammo from its floors at different points over the years, such as following protests over the killing of George Floyd by police or following an increase in mass shooting events. But then, of course, they just go back to normal. Go back to everyday business. <laughs> now, uh, the actress Lori Loughlin reported to a federal prison in Northern California today to start a two-month sentence for her role in that massive college admission cheating scandal. Uh, that's according to officials at the prison and the federal prosecutor's office. The Full House star surrendered uh, to authorities at the Federal Correctional Institution in Dublin, California. That's about 40 miles east of San Francisco. <laughs> according to this article, she was early. Happy she uh, follows the rules like that yeah the judge who sentenced her ordered her to report to prison on november 19th it is the same federal lockup where the desperate housewives actress felicity huffman served her 11 days last october huffman was in general population and had to follow all the rules including a 5 a.m wake-up call a uniform of khaki pants and a brown t-shirt and be five inmate roll calls per day she'll, yes she'll literally be out by the holidays so it, it's fine well that was what's turning this hour what's happening in entertainment news ryan so let's dive right into the tea report you know those pop culture stories that are trending right now kelly osborne said she has no time for would-be suitors that didn't respect her before her major weight loss so she recently revealed that she had lost about 85 pounds after having wow. a gastric sleeve surgery and um during a virtual appearance on thursday's the talk she got candid about how the dramatic transformation has affected her dating life here's what she had to say i don't know what it is so how are you taking care of yourself when it comes to your love life let's just say i am having fun Ooh. oh Ooh. Whoa. What, what street was what, you mommy got right? what street were you on that seven people asked you out what street well, it was a cross street. <laughs> no, but you know what it was? Was it a freeway? It was what all was it? guys yeah. who had, yeah. I had shown interest in before, uh -huh. okay. but had all mm. made comments about, oh. she's great, but uh, she's too fat, or she's great, but <gasps> no. So it was all of those people that came back around again, so I was like, oh. no, no. So basically, she is turning down all guys who tried to call her too fat and all that, and I love that type of energy. So Slay Queen, you look amazing. You always did. And yeah. yeah, that's your tea report. Now coming up, how K-pop fans became the Republicans' worst nightmare. We get into that next in two minutes. In June, K-pop fans took over social media with more than 22,000 tweets messing with hashtags that we do not like, uh, like hashtag White Lives Matter and QAnon. The power of these stands have even led get out the vote efforts against the president. They were also the self-proclaimed online pranksters who ruined Trump's rally in Tulsa, where he'd said one million people planned to show up and barely 6,000 did. Yikes. Well, Mike Rothschild is with us, who's a journalist, researcher and debunker of conspiracy theories as we get into this uh, interesting subject matter. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. So I find this really fascinating and pretty awesome, but were K-pop fans always this political? I can't say that I know a ton about the music, but what drew me to this and what where I got interested in it was seeing people who you would think don't really know their way around to social media warfare 
taking those tools and throwing them back at people who pride themselves on being social media warriors. That caught my attention first. The sort of the what was in the fan cams and stuff like that was was later on. So should we be nervous? Because obviously the BTS army is what they love to call themselves. Mm-hmm. They they're doing some really cool things when it comes to obviously fighting in a in a, a activist advocate type of way. But should we be nervous of fandoms who aren't really a monolith? It's kind of like their leaderless is how this article described it. Should is that something that we should be supporting? Because you just don't know what they could do next with all that power. Well, there is always the possibility that a, a of leaderless fandom could get rancid you know the way a lot of star wars fandom has gotten and sort of science fiction fans in general have gotten you know really sort of siloed and and uh, not inclusive of people but everything that i saw from what was going on with the k-pop fans was that it was very inclusive it was done very joyfully um it wasn't trying to weaponize something it was trying to divert attention away from something which I thought was a, was a very innovative approach to this. Definitely is. Um, is it fair to say that it was all the K-pop fans who did this? Like, we're connecting them to all these things. But is that really the case? Is that part of the conspiracy that it's K-pop fans are the ones that we should be praising? This movement sort of came up organically from what I saw. I didn't see any indication of coordinating by anybody else. I think that this is a movement that's done, that's done this before. You know, certainly with the, the Trump rally in Tulsa, I think this was a group of people who saw something that they didn't like and especially saw their social media use being sort of turned around and used to promote this this event that really should never have been happening. And I think they were so successful at it that they realized they have a lot of power. You know, there's there's a huge amount of, of you know, there's, the numbers are enormous in this movement. And they're very good at using social media. They're very good at using GIFs and memes. They kind of realized on the fly, hey, we could do something really good with this. And we could push back against people who are misusing these things that we really enjoy and we get a lot out of. Definitely. See, I've seen a little bit of both sides when it comes to K-pop fans. Like, if you say anything negative about who they stand, then it can they can really come at you and really kind of tear you down and it can feel very a lot. But when it comes in terms of the administration and, you know, that thing that you mentioned about the rally, do you, do you think the Trump campaign is trying to fight off further attacks from them? Like, how do you prepare yourself on a political front for a massive wave that they're bringing to the table? Well, I thought it was really interesting what happened with the Trump campaign after the Tulsa rally, whereas I think just a few days later that uh, Brad Parscale, the Trump's former campaign manager, was demoted. And, you know, you could tell that they were just not prepared for this. They had no idea it was coming. They had no idea how to deal with it. And they really got out over their skis. They, you know, they were talking about one million tickets given away for an event in an arena that holds what, like 1,200 people? I mean, they were clearly lying, and they got called out on their lying, and they got called out in a really creative way. You know, I, I do think that there is a risk with movements like this of sort of getting on their bad side and being brigaded by these people. I mean, that happens with conspiracy movements all the time, where you say something that catches the eye of somebody big in the movement, and suddenly they stick all your followers on you. It's terrifying. It, it's awful when that happens. But I haven't seen that kind of negativity in, in the K-pop movement. And what I've seen is that it's very positive, it's very affirming, and it's very inclusive. You know, it's all the things that big right-wing hate movements are not. 
Yeah, Mike Rothschild again is with us who debunks conspiracy theories. I guess as we wrap this up, I mean, we've seen so many crazy things in this election cycle from obviously QAnon has really overpowered the narrative. I, I just feel like I've never seen conspiracy theories be so integrated to the election, right? And brought up in mainstream media. Have you ever seen anything like this before? I've never seen anything like this in terms of mainstream appeal for conspiracy theories. You know, these theories have always been with us. The Internet did not invent conspiracy theories. It really didn't even make them more popular. But what it did do was make them more accessible. Yeah, you used to really have to work kind of hard to be a conspiracy theorist. You had to read the right books and go to the right dank basements to get the stuff. Now, you know, you can start a Twitter account and have 100,000 followers in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And we've never had a conspiracy theorist president before. Donald Trump rose to political prominence by questioning where Barack Obama was born. And so everything that's happened since then has really been an offshoot of that. No wonder conspiracy theorists love him. He's one of them. Well, you seem to be busy because of that. So congratulations. (laughs) I I guess. (laughs) Thanks again for being with us. We appreciate it. I'm happy to help. Again, that was Mike Rothschild, journalist, researcher, and debunker of conspiracy theories. In this opinion piece in the Washington Post titled, The World is Watching This Election, Here's What Other Countries Have to Gain and Lose by David Ignatius, it really brought uh, something interesting up. And I think about this because I am Canadian. I think about how does the rest of the world look at what's happening right now? Not just citizens, but world leaders, because they have uh, some incentive in this as well. They want something from the president, too, whenever someone is voted in. So who's for Trump? Who's for Biden? What would be the reason for leaders to be pushing for one or the other? Back with us is executive director at the Los Angeles County Democratic Party, Drexel Hurd. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I am sitting here at LA Dem HQ right now. Yeah, in full uh, campaign wear, by the way. In full campaign wear, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so this is really interesting because we've seen, you know, allies, enemies come out over the past four years for against Trump. I guess, how have we seen uh, that change over the past few years? Because we all know where China started and where they are right now. Sure. I think that as every president um, changes or every secretary of state or every national security advisor so does obviously the policy of the United States. Um, typically, it has been um, that the United States has led on a whole host of issues around the world. In this case, the Trump administration has taken it upon themselves to let other people lead um, and to get us out of things that they believe we shouldn't be in. That's never been the stance of the United States. We've always been the people that people have looked, the, the country that, that other nations have looked to uh, to provide guidance and certainly to buy, provide as much security as possible. Right. Uh, so I think when it comes down to where other world leaders stand, you know, you just look at Angela Merkel of, of Germany and Justin Trudeau of, of Canada uh, to where probably other leaders are looking to for a little bit more security, and that's unfortunate. I think one interesting thing that I think about in a conversation like this is Putin and Kim Jong-un, right? Because they need someone in office like Trump. And if Joe Biden mm. wins, how do we see our relationship with these foreign countries change? Well, I think it's just going to go back to where, at least for our allies and, and for our NATO allies, it's going to go back to where we were before. There's going to be a little bit more rebuilding Uh, We certainly have to rebuild our State Department because so many of our career diplomats have left. Uh, We're going to have to rebuild our ambassadors uh, where those folks go around the world and and our standing with those nations as well. So uh, I think with Russia and with China, uh, Donald Trump can't decide who Russia and China want to win more. So 
some days is they want to win Joe, they want Joe Biden to win uh, in one rally. And then the next rally, he says, well, Russia and China really want me to win, you know, and because I'm the bad guy. So he can't really make up his mind on who he believes our adversaries want to win. But they are exactly that. They're adversaries. Uh, China is an economic adversary and Russia is certainly a national security adversary uh, to us. And so uh, Donald Trump has uh, been unable to protect us from both of them uh, in both of those stances. And uh, and I think that Joe Biden and certainly with Kamala Harris, uh, they're going to they're going to bring in uh, teams of people that Russia and China uh, are certainly not going to be able to uh, we'll be able to stand up to them a little bit more. But equally as uh, as concerning is our relationship with North Korea, because uh, North Korea has increased their stockpiles uh, of uh, nuclear weapons. They don't they don't care. And that's where Iran is uh, right now as well. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. And again, you're hearing from Drexel Hurd, executive director of the L.A. County Democratic Party. Let's talk about these peace treaties, uh, Israel, Iran, the Middle East. How has that impacted things? And is that a a long term solution or was that just a political move for this election? So I think a peace in the Middle East has certainly been something that every president has been attempting to achieve. Look, you can sign all the documents you want, but if it does not stick, in this case, we signed the Iran uh, nuclear agreement that Donald Trump pulled us out of. And we see what happens uh, when you don't adhere to those things. When Iran was adhering to those guidelines, we were making progress with them, lifting sanctions uh, that had been agreed upon. Uh, now, um, you're, we're signing peace treaties that may or may not, uh, I'm not saying that it is, but it may or may not have had some Trump deals laced uh, throughout them. Uh, so, um, you know, so I, I think that, that we have to really look at what those details are um, to really fully understand uh, yeah. how that's going to impact uh, U.S. relations with everybody. This sounds like it's going to be a huge, like, cleanup moment, right? And I wonder, does the Biden-Harris, you know, campaign kind of feel the pressure of that? Is this new administration going to feel the pressure of having to clean up everything Donald Trump has unfortunately done? Yeah, we're going to have to clean up not only um, our economic uh, issues that we're having inside, our domestic economic issues, but we're going to have to clean up our foreign policy as well. Like I said, you've got career diplomats who may come back into service because they know that they're going to have a secretary of state that actually cares about our standing around the world. Uh, You're going to see our allies come back to the table. You're going to see the fact uh, that those who wanted to be a part of our our, our G8, um, you know, probably slink back uh, uh, into where they came from. Uh, There's no reason why some of our biggest adversaries like Russia should be a part uh, of those conversations if they can't uh, adhere to to, uh, human relations uh, standards as well. So, I think that those are the things that you're going to see the Biden administration uh, take into account uh, as they rebuild our state. Well, thank you so much for all your hard work right now and for being here today. Thank you for having me. Make sure y'all go vote. Exactly. That was executive director at Los Angeles County Democratic Party, Drexel Hurd. Now coming up, a 90-year-old ballerina gets a very special surprise that's next on our Yaz Queen of the Day. We are wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Now, this is a sad yet inspiring share. Ten days after Jeff Bridges, Hollywood legend, first shared news of his lymphoma diagnosis, he's posted now a heartwarming health update to his website yesterday. And next to that is a photo of him posing in a hospital gown and some hand-drawn doodles. And if you're wondering, uh, you know, because Ryan did not really know who Jeff Bridges was, he is the dude, very iconic in The Big Lebowski. Go check out the movie for all the youngins out there who 
don't know who he is, but promise, I promise if you saw his face, you know him. He's iconic. I know what he was in. He was in R.I.P.D. I remember that movie. It was him and Ryan Reynolds. It's a really good movie. He's an iconic actor. Yeah, I he's know been who around. he is. Oh, I thought you didn't. Okay. See, wow. Sorry for assuming. He was also in The Giver. I mean, I read that book when I was young. I mean, you I You just know. haven't seen The Big Lebowski. That's I've it. never seen that film, but I've seen some others. I know who he is. Well, he talked about the gratitude he has right now. He thanked everyone for being there for him. He said the love is contagious, but this really struck a chord. He said, this cancer is making me appreciate my mortality, appreciate impermanence. I'm realizing I have S to share. Now's the time love that his perseverance and uh and how he's just being showing how strong he is through it all and keeping high spirits it's really inspirational especially in the midst of everything happening in this year yeah so we are sending him lots of love and positive healing and blessings as well as anyone going through cancer right now or who have uh, friends and family going through that because it is really difficult now another yes queen of the day to this 90 year old tessa solemn williams she's been cooped up inside her washington dc apartment for months due to COVID 19 and so she watches these exercises at the neighboring balance gym and it's been her source of inspiration uh so they saw that she was watching her and basically they created a keep moving mural for her to see each day from her window, as well as everyone around her around there who just watch, I guess, from their windows and from their balconies. So she is a former professional ballerina with the international ballet. She told her daughter seeing everyone on the roof, working out and keeping up with their routines has given her hope as a former dancer. She has exercised vigorously almost every day of her life. And if she could, she would try and join the members, but she is 90 and wobbly. So shout out to her for her positivity <laughs> and to balance Jim for doing this and spreading the, those positive men- did messages. Did you describe this 90-year-old as 90 and wobbly? Or did her, they- her daughter said that. Oh, okay. That was a quote. <laughs> okay. That is really cute and really sweet because I imagine a 90-year-old being very wobbly and cute. So, yes, Queen. And that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day. Nominate someone to be featured on a show. You can always slide into our DMs at LGT Show. And, of course, Halloween is tomorrow. Just a reminder, because we like to talk about the moons here on the show. Check out the moon tomorrow. Go outside somehow. I don't know. Maybe you're going to be on the highway driving or something. But it's the first time since in more than 75 years that there's going to be a full blue moon. The last time a Halloween full moon occurred across all U.S. time zones was in 1944. Is it going to be blue? So, uh, it's called the blue moon. I assume it's blue. You are. That's, next your, that's one literally is, your only job as the hippie correspondent I'm not a moon show. expert, but you I'm a fan. You are supposed to know about the moon. So listen, <laughs> the next one isn't expected to happen until 2039, according to NASA. So go check it out and enjoy it. Take pictures and just, you know, take it in. Who knows if it, it's going to be blue? We didn't find that information out today, but it's fine. It's all good. It'll be beautiful. Blue Moon, Google. Now you're going to Google. We got to go. Alexa, Blue Moon. (laughs) Actually, Blue Moon means not very often. That's why it's called the Blue Moon. How cool is that? Once in a Blue Moon. That's where the phrase came from. Okay, guys, I am going to log off now. And this is how we're ending the show today. This is exactly Yeah, go check out our podcast. Let's go there on radio.com. We love you. I love you, Ryan, even though sometimes you don't love me. (laughs) Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week where we're covering all things election. It's Mm going to be wild. Hang out with us. Yes. And honey, remember to slay.